We're in a series going through Mark's Gospel, so if you've got a Bible, would you please turn to Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 45. Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 40. Here we find good news. And the good good news is this, Jesus drives out sin that spoils. My aim this morning is this, that you would have Jesus drive out your sin that spoils. If that doesn't sound like good news to you, if that sounds pretty irrelevant, just the sort of thing a preacher preaches about, but it doesn't mean anything to you, please be open-minded enough to listen and to see if you need to change your mind. Now, before we get into this and hear this good news that Jesus drives out the sin that spoils, imagine this. Nigella Lawson comes to your house to cook you a meal. Yeah, imagine that Nigella Lawson comes to your house. She brings all her cookery stuff and ingredients with her and she's going to cook you a meal. And now there's two approaches you could take to that, presuming you let her in and would like her to cook. You could just enjoy the meal. Just leave her to it and then enjoy eating the meal. Or you could watch her cooking it so that you could try to cook it for yourself another time. Now, think of the preaching as like eating a meal. And normally, I've done the cooking and then you just eat the meal. But today, first of all, I want to tell you a little bit about how I cook the meal. So that you can, well, to hopefully help you with reading the Bible for yourself. Now, I'll try not to take too long, so I'm not going to tell you everything, but just a little bit about how I cooked this meal, how I got this meal, in a sense, from Mark chapter 1, and I hope that will help you with your own reading of the Bible. Cooking a meal, let's start with onions. Onions have layers, don't they? Layer upon layer. And any part of the Bible is like that. It's surrounded by layer upon layer. Let's start with the outer layer. This passage, we're looking at Mark 1, verse 40 to 45, is in the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. So let's examine that layer, the Gospel of Mark. And Mark very helpfully begins by telling you what the the book is all about. Chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's all about good news. He's going to tell you about Jesus, the bringer of good news. How does he tell you good news that comes from Jesus? Well, Mark is in two halves. Chapters 1 to 8 are who Jesus is and focus on his grace. Chapters 9 to 16 are why Jesus came, to go to the cross, to suffer and deal with sin. Now, our our paragraph Chapter 1, verse 40 to 45 is in the first half, so it's showing us who Jesus is, his greatness. But we always have to bear in mind the second half, why did he come to deal with sin? That's always shaping what he's doing. Okay, we've, we've peeled off the outer layer of the onion, let's go into the next layer down. What more immediately is around our paragraph? Well, if you read Mark chapter 1 and into chapter 2, you'd find some things keep coming up. So, for example, chapter 1, verse 16 to 20, there's Jesus calling people to follow him, and they do. His words have power to change their lives. 
In chapter 2, verse 13 to 17, you've got exactly the same thing again. In fact, as if to emphasize it's the same, in both cases, Jesus is walking by the sea. And he calls people to follow him, and they do. His words have power to change their lives. Very similar things. And, and in between, we have a whole load of events. And at first reading, that could look like just a list of lots of different events, until you spot certain things keep coming up. As you read through that section, you find it keeps talking about authority. Jesus' words have authority. They're powerful. It keeps talking about healing. Jesus putting right things that are wrong with people and the world. And it keeps talking about driving out. There are things that spoil this world, and Jesus drives them out. You find Jesus driving out evil spirits and demons and illnesses and disability, driving out things that spoil this world. What's it showing about Jesus? He has authority to drive out all that spoils. Okay, we peeled away one layer of the onion, then the next layer underneath, and now we get to our paragraph, verses 40 to 45. And again we find Jesus speaking with authority, driving out something that spoils, and healing someone. But what's the particular message of this paragraph? How does it add anything to chapter 1? Surely that's all been seen before. Well, it, it does add something. And it's this. Here we have a picture of Jesus driving out sin that spoils. Now you might say, where did I get that from? He's driving out leprosy from a man. Ah yes, but it's all a picture of Jesus driving out sin that spoils. Why do I think that? Because the man has leprosy. And there's a lot in the Old Testament about leprosy. Using it as a picture of sin. You see, when you read the New Testament, there's always some background in the Old Testament that's helpful. I also think that because of the words used, the man doesn't come to Jesus and say, please heal me. He says, Jesus, you can make me clean. Now, that's very significant when the Bible is full of talk about being cleansed from our sin. And I also think it because Jesus seems to be showing it in chapter 2 where he uses healing from illness as a picture of dealing with sin. Chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, he says to a man, your sins are forgiven, and the people say, how can you say that? And he says, I'll prove I can, and he heals the man. And chapter 2, verse 17, Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He's effectively saying, all this healing I'm doing is a picture of something more important, dealing with sin. So from all of that, we can say Mark chapter 1, verse 40 to 45 is telling us this good news. Jesus drives out sin that spoils. Okay, there I've tried to give a brief summary of how I cook the meal. Um, That's to help you when you read the Bible. I hope it also shows you this. The Bible is a very well-written book. And when people say, ah, it's this big book, you can make the Bible say anything you want. Not true. You can work out clearly what it means. 
It is an understandable book. Now, I haven't told you the most important part of the cooking. Because the Bible is not just a piece of literature that, like Shakespeare, you can examine and work out. The Bible is not just for people with good literacy skills. Actually, the majority of Christians down through church history probably couldn't even read. The Bible is God's message for all of us. God the author, by his spirit, can teach us however difficult we may find reading the Bible. And so the most important part of cooking the meal is praying about what you read. Praying about what you discover in the Bible. I find, as I pray about what I've read, as I praise God for what he's just shown me about Jesus in the Bible, as I ask God for his help to do what I've just read, I find actually it's often then that my understanding becomes clearer about what God is saying to me. The most important part of cooking the meal is praying over it. Children, I hope you've all realised that I'm not really talking about cooking a meal. I'm talking about understanding the Bible. I'm using cooking a meal as a picture of it. Okay, that was a much longer introduction than usual. So let's now eat the meal. Let's hear Mark chapter 1, verse 40 to 45. Verse 40. A man with leprosy came to Jesus. In the Bible, leprosy refers not just to what today is classified as leprosy. It was a much broader term referring to all sorts of serious skin diseases. This man was spoilt by illness. It wasn't natural to him. He wouldn't have been born with it. Somehow he'd caught it. But now it's all through him. Not something he's always had. It's not him and who he is, well, but it's, but it's actually become, in a sense, him and who he is. It's not just a little bit on the outside, it's actually become part of him. Well, let's think about that because that's a very important part of the picture. If you have a whiteboard and you write on it with a black pen, you can wipe it off easily because it's just on the surface. Not so with this. This is my bit of rag for when I have a mechanical problem, when I'm out on my bike. If I remember rightly, it was once white, or maybe light yellow. That is, you will not wipe that dirt off. I don't think you'll even wash that dirt out. It isn't natural to the rag. It's an outsider, the dirt has got in, but it's so ingrained, it's become one with the rag. You couldn't separate the dirt from the cloth. That's what leprosy was like for this man. It was something from outside him that had got into him, but so ingrained it couldn't get out. It had become almost one with him. And leprosy is a picture of our sin. Sin is an outsider. Sin is not natural. Now, we get this a bit wrong. Someone's being selfish and we say, oh, that's just human nature. No, it's not. God made human nature good. Sin is an outsider that has got in. But like leprosy, it's not just on the surface, it's got ingrained. And like the dirt in the cloth, it's so ingrained you can't even really separate out it from yourself. Do you find that sin is so ingrained into you 
it seems inescapable. It gets in everywhere. Maybe it's pride. And, and even when you've done something good, you just find that wondering who's noticed you. Maybe it's selfishness and you just find that knee-jerk reaction of what's in it for you. Maybe it's lust and you just find it so often rearing its ugly head and spoiling things. Maybe it's something else. Do you find that sin, it just gets in everywhere? Leprosy is a picture of sin in another way. The leper was counted unclean, considered unclean. And because of that, lepers had to keep separate from everyone else. They weren't allowed to live in the major towns. And they had to, as they walked around, call out, unclean, unclean, so other people knew, keep away. Here were people made in the image of God, and yet it had got so spoiled, skin discoloured. Certain types of leprosy meant that you lost your feeling in parts of your body, and then they got injured, and people even lost limbs. Their ability to do things got affected, and... The image of God had got spoiled. And that's what sin does to us. It makes us unclean in God's sight and therefore separates us from him. You know, people say, if there's a God, why don't I have any sense of him? As if it's proof that he isn't there. But actually what it may be proof of is that your sin is separating you from the loving father and source of life that you need. And sin spoils the image of God. We're made to reflect God. His good character, but how twisted that's got. We're made to live for him, but how much sin just spoils our ability to do that. Do you have any idea what sin has done to you? Do you have any sense of the spiritual leprosy that we have? That makes it good news that Jesus can drive out The sin that spoils. Verse 40 again. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. Begged him on his knees. Now, what's that like? If I say to you, would you mind watering my plants while I'm away on holiday? It doesn't sound too bothered one way or the other whether you do it or not. If I say, I'm begging you, will you make me clean? Now that sounds like... Not going to take no for an answer. And you say, of course, this man had a terrible problem, leprosy. Of course he's desperate for it to be dealt with. But what about sin? Do you ask Jesus to deal with your sin like, would you mind watering my plants while I'm on holiday? Or like, I'm begging you, will you make me clean? What are your prayers like? You see, real faith isn't just that you, yes, I agree that that, that what the Bible says is true. Real faith is, I believe it enough that I have that sense of need. I'm begging you, Jesus, to deal with this problem. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. I don't know if I dare to do this one. What's it like on your knees? Well, it's pretty humiliating. I feel pretty embarrassed at the moment in front of you all. (laughs) But it's it takes being humble to come and beg from Jesus. Now, this other aspect isn't really illustrated because you're all sitting down and I'm on a platform. But if you're begging someone on your knees, what are you doing? You're beneath them. 
You're looking up to them. You're vulnerable. You're in their hands. And our coming to Jesus has to all be like that. Is your coming to Jesus like that? Jesus, I'm in your hands. I'm totally dependent on you. I'm not over you, saying to you what you ought to do. I'm under you, begging you to do it. Now, I'm talking to you, if you're not a Christian, about asking Jesus for forgiveness, asking Jesus to deal with the sin that separates you from the God that you need. But if you are a Christian, I'm talking to you also and to myself, because we still need this. If we think we'll drive out our sin by our resolve, I'm going to resolve to do it. If we think we'll drive out our sin by our thought processes, I will understand my sin and therefore understand how to approach it. If we think we'll drive out sin by a method we've read in a book, we won't. We won't. All those things can be helpful and well worth doing, but if it's just them and it's not, I am begging Jesus to drive out my sin. Well, you might drive it under the surface here, but it will pop up there. Like that whack-a-mole game. You whack it down here and it will come up there. You can drive it under the surface, but you can't drive it out. It takes Jesus to do that. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. Begging could all sound very negative. But there is a positive side to this. The leper clearly thought it was worth it. Here's someone it's worth begging. Let's think about what that implies. Jeff Bezos. Heard of him? He owns Amazon. And that means they say his wealth is, wait for it, how much money has he got? 196.9 billion US dollars. Wow, that's an unimaginable number. So that means if he gave me one million dollars, what would he have left? 196 billion, 899 million dollars left. So is he able to give me one million dollars? Yeah, he's well able, isn't he? He's easy. He would hardly notice it if he gave me one million dollars. He is well able to give me one million dollars. So have I written him a begging letter? No, I haven't. Why not? He's, he's easily able. It's worth a try, isn't it? No, I don't think it is worth a try. Because although I'm confident he's able, I don't at all think he'd be willing. He's able, but I don't reckon he'd be willing. In fact, I so little think he'd be willing... I'm not even going to bother writing him a letter. The leper came to Jesus, sure he was able, a little less sure he was willing. Verse 40, he begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. But Jesus puts that doubt to rest. Verse 41, filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. He's able and he's willing. And that is all that we need. That is the best of news, isn't it? He's able and he's willing. And we have not just Mark 1 and this instance, we have a Bible with so many promises. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. Interesting. Cleanse us 
from all unrighteousness. He is able and he is willing. That is exactly what we need. Jesus is worth begging from. Verse 41 again. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. The first half of Mark's gospel, chapters 1 to 8, has this emphasis on the authority of Jesus. He's powerful. He commands and evil spirits obey. He speaks and people follow. But this authority isn't a remote king commanding from a distance on a throne. He's filled with compassion and he touched the man. Now, we could turn this into just a nice sentimental idea about Jesus can touch you in your life. Have you felt the touch of Jesus in your life? Now, I'm not saying that's irrelevant, but we could just water it down to just a nice sentimental idea about Jesus touching you in your life. Actually, this is about something very definite, physical and historical. Jesus came at a point in history and he physically touched a leper. You were not allowed to do that. They were unclean. And if you touched them, then you were considered unclean and you had to be separated off from other people. That is rather more familiar to us now, isn't it, than it was before March last year. Touching a leper is a bit like sharing someone else's face mask. Would you do that? Yeah, it's like. Actually, someone you know has COVID-19 and you use their face mask. Well, then you are considered unclean and you'd better isolate and keep away from the rest of us. Touching the leper was rather like that. And Jesus touching the leper is picturing this. He came into the world to take our uncleanness onto himself. He took our sins and was counted a sinner in our place. And those same hands that reached out and touched the leper would then be nailed to a cross because he had been counted unclean and he was going to take all of our punishment in our place. It isn't just a sentimental idea about Jesus can touch you. It's something definite and historical. He took on uncleanness in our place. And that's how he could do the next thing. Verse 42, verse 42, immediately the leprosy, well, let's start in verse 41. He said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. What authority. He says two words, be clean. He commands the intruder, leprosy. He drives out the outsider that has taken hold and it's driven out. But he does it after his touch. Notice he does it after his touch. Still today, he commands sin to be driven out of us. And he has authority to do that. But he does it after he's taken our uncleanness on himself. He has authority, but it took the cross for that to happen. Now. I have to bring in a complication here because sin leaving us is more complex than leprosy leaving the leper. The miracles here are pictures of when the kingdom is completed. 
By the way, I don't believe that the, the miracles in the Gospels are leading us to expect loads of miracles all the time today. And that Jesus always heals people of their illnesses today. They're pointing forward to the completed kingdom. When Jesus returns and will fully drive out everything that spoils from his world and his people. But what about today? When you beg Jesus, is sin driven out immediately now? Well, it's a little more complex. It's driven off God's record books for you immediately. When you come and beg Jesus to deal with your sin, he will clean God's record book for you. He will drive the guilt off God's record book for you. Your life is made clean in that sense immediately. In other words, there is complete forgiveness. Sin is also driven off the throne of your life immediately. Sin no longer rules you when you come to Jesus. You don't have to obey it anymore. Sin is not Lord. Jesus is Lord from this moment onwards. And he doesn't share the throne with anyone. Sin is booted off the throne. But it still hangs around. As fellow believers, we all experience, don't we? And it causes us pain and difficulty. It still hangs around and it still tries to get control and it still tries to persuade you that it is Lord and it does rule. It's a little like this. There was once a man called James Stewart. His dad had been king of England. He was also called James. But his dad had been removed from the throne. But James Stewart still claimed that he was king. He still said, I should be on the throne. And he was always trying to get back on the throne. He was known as the old pretender. He persuaded many people he was the rightful king. And he caused a lot of trouble. And he caused a lot of fighting. But he was the old pretender. Now sin is the old pretender. It tries to persuade you, you must do what it says. It tries to persuade you, it can control you. It hangs around and it causes us an awful lot of trouble. But Jesus has driven it off the throne. And Jesus has driven it off God's record books. There is complete forgiveness, cleansing for those who have come and begged from Jesus. If Jesus says be clean, then you are cleaning God's view and it's his view that matters. Now, we haven't got time for verse 43 to 45, which might be kind of convenient because uh, it's interesting, isn't it? And it's slightly odd. Jesus commands a man and he doesn't do what Jesus said, which is rather different from the rest of Mark 1. But uh, we've run out of time. I think we'll leave it at that. So we focus on this. Mark tells us at the start why he's writing the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the son of God. He's telling us good news. Gospel means good news so that we, like the leper, come to Jesus and beg him. Drive out my sin. Deal with this uncleanness that separates me from God. Drive out this outsider that's got into me and become part of me and spoils me. Have you done that? And fellow Christians, do you keep doing that?
we're going to sing a 300-year-old hymn, which I think will become clear to you pretty quickly is us reinforcing to each other some of the lessons from Mark chapter 1. Let's stay sitting down for this hymn.